Well, hello, if you're watching online, my name is Stephen Feith. There's a pre-recorded message from Sunday uh, before the Thursday that you are watching this. And happy Easter to all of us who are together in the room. I'm the founding pastor of Madison Church. If you're newish or you forgot, we got started in 2014. So we really are in this whole like global Christianity that's 2,000 years old. Uh, we're baby. We're, you know, we're an infant. We're pretty young, but we're having fun doing it. And Easter Sunday, uh, it's a day that I get excited about. It's probably a day that you get excited about. I mean, you're here, you're looking forward to it. And Easter represents just so many possibilities. I mean, that's why we like Easter. We, we like the idea, the possibilities of, of themes like resurrection and new life and redemption, grace, love, forgiveness, things that never fail. We love coming together. Um, and that's why we come together on Easter Sunday. We hope that we're going to be encouraged. We hope that we're going to be inspired um, by something that was sung, something that was said, something that was um, prayed. And, and I do too. I also hope that that happens in your time with us today. Now, I'm not saying it won't happen. Okay. That's my lead into, I'm not saying it won't happen, but we need to address why is it that we're so enthusiastic about Easter Sunday and new life and, and resurrection? I mean, what, what motivates us? There's a motivation behind it. There's a reason that we want a love that never fails in our lives. What is it? Well, I think that it's because the longing that each, and I think the longing is that we've all had our fair share of failures of disappointments and of regrets. I mean, you could raise your hand right now if you're, if you're comfortable, if your life has never had a failure, never had a disappointment and never had a regret. And you look around the room right now and if you're online, nobody in the room is raising their hand, which means we all have that in common. You've failed at some point. You've been disappointed at some point. You have a regret. Now, let me just illustrate this. Let me, to prove my point that we've all experienced these things, let's just talk about today. Let's talk about Easter Sunday. Let's talk about a typical holiday for probably most of you. I am taking some liberties here, but here's what I'm guessing, okay? I'm guessing that if you had kids, what you thought would be a fun egg hunt or Easter activity in your yard turned into a bunch of screaming and crying. First the kids, then you right? Okay. First the kids, then you. Those cheap plastic little eggs are broken and you can't get them to shut. Or you finally do get them to shut and you can't get them to open again. And by the time you do get your fingers bloody and you open it up, the candy inside is already melted. Unless of course you live in Wisconsin and then we only get a warm Easter Sunday about once every decade. So the melted candy is not an issue. It's more like the frozen candy that you can't find underneath all of the snow. I bet some of you bought nice dresses and nice dress pants for your kids to wear today, and they are already stained either with breakfast or the craft they're doing upstairs right now or um, grass or whatever they were getting into on the way here. And then for the families, again, uh, you try to pull it together for just 10 seconds. Everyone's dressed up. It was just 10 seconds to get a decent photo together so I can post and act like for one week, one day, one minute of the year, my family can look nice. My family, we have it together. We're going to put that on Instagram and, and we're going to get some likes. And what ends up happening is that this picture that you had this dream, this fantasy of the night before for weeks, you bought the outfit, you coordinated it. It actually looks like a mugshot of your family because last night you guys tried robbing a casino, right? That's how it turns out. And you're like, well, I guess if I get the right filter, maybe it'll look less criminal. And, um, and But it doesn't turn out the way you want it to. And it's not just families. It's not just this morning. I mean, think about if you have 
lunch plans after this. And you invited family, you invited friends because that's what you're supposed to do. It's a holiday. And to your dismay, everyone who you invited said, yes, they would actually be there. You're like, oh, great. Everyone is going to be at my house today. I guess that means we have to clean. I guess that means we have to take showers. Um, man, we got to have, you know, we got to get our attitudes together. And, and hopefully that crazy uncle or aunt who always comes and, and tries to bring up politics, you know, hopefully they have some car trouble or something, uh, slows them down so you guys can drink a little bit before they get here. So at least it's more enjoyable than at that point if they start going nuts. Um, probably the worst one on Easter for me personally is when you go to grab a grape flavored jelly bean or something you think is grape flavored and it's actually black licorice. That's just the worst. Is anyone, who likes black licorice jelly beans? Ah, see, I had a feeling. Now, the truth is, for many of us this morning, we have had expectations in our lives that just it hasn't happened. It just hasn't happened. There's been those failures the disappointments and regrets. And so all joking aside, because I think that you get my point. I think you agree with me. I don't think I have to talk you into this. Let's get serious. Maybe you expected that your marriage was going to get better. It was going to get better um, or at least back to what it what it was, maybe not better, but back to what it was when you first met, when you first got engaged, when you first got married, that first anniversary. But you're disappointed today because it hasn't. You hoped to be married by now. Perhaps that's your hope. I hope that I was going to be married by now, but I'm not. Or you didn't think that you'd ever be divorced, but you are. And perhaps you consider that a failure, either not meeting someone or being divorced. You consider that the failure. It could be that you expected, you had this expectations, this hope that the doctors would be able to help you recover from a disease or an illness that you had, something that you were born with, something that has developed over time, only to find out that they couldn't. Again, disappointment. You worked so hard. I mean, just so hard. You worked, you came in early, you stayed late, you put in extra time planning and preparing for that interview to get the promotion at work. And you really were excited about the raise that came with it, right? You, not just the promotion, but the raise, the extra money, and you got passed up. And it's not even the first time that that's happened to you. It's happened two, three, more times than you care to count. Or maybe what's worse, I know this has happened too. You got the job and now you hate your job. That promotion, that raise that you worked so hard for, you got the job and now you hate the job. And you're like, if only I knew what I was praying for to begin with. Again, it feels like failure a little bit. You pray for your kid or your teen's attitude to get better, their behavior to improve. And you pray and you pray and you pray and it still hasn't gotten better. And the kids and the teens, they pray for their parents' attitudes to get better and their behaviors to improve. And, and God hasn't answered that prayer either, right? I expected, I hoped for, I worked so hard for, I prayed for months, morning and night, fill in the blank. And what did you get? Failure? Disappointment? Regret? Now, none of this makes me a real perceptive person. Let me just throw that out. I'm not a psychic. I, I don't do palm readings. I don't know what's going on in your everyday life. Life saying that you've dealt with varying degrees of failure, disappointments, and regrets is just common sense. Everyone around the room has because that's what it means to be human. If you've failed, if you have a regret, if you've been disappointed, I have good news for you today. You are human, you're real, and that's okay. So, why bring all this up today? I mean, isn't Easter new life and resurrection? I mean, shouldn't this be happy and joyous and hopeful? And it will be. But I wanted to start this way today because this is how the very first Easter started. You see, we're 
on the resurrection side of Jesus. We, we, we're coming 2,000 some years after Jesus. We have thousands of years of church history. We have um, billions of believers who have existed all over the world. We have ample evidence that the New Testament documents are some of the most historically accurate documents from that era. We have all of this. We're on this side of Jesus. And so we get together on Easter and we dress up and we're going to have a great day. And we are, but we forget that that very first Easter contained none of that. There was no excitement. There was no hope. There was just disappointment. There was regret. There was failure or at least the perceived failure. Again, Jesus dying on a cross on a Friday was not what they expected. Those early disciples, the people who followed Jesus, that was not what they were expecting. That's not what they worked toward. That's not even what they prayed about. And so they were disappointed They were filled with regret all the time that they wasted following a rabbi from Nazareth who claimed he was the Messiah. And he, we saw him do miracles. We saw him raise someone from the dead, but he couldn't even save himself from some religious leaders who hung him on the cross. It's gotta be a sick feeling that some of them turned away, walked away from careers, from vocations, just full of faith to follow him. And on this Easter morning to just feel like, What did we do? We failed. Today, we're going to go to Luke 24. We're going to talk about Luke 24 as we begin to see what happens and how the Easter story goes from one that's kind of somber to one that is hopeful. I'll have the words on the screen for you, but if you want to use a house Bible and write in it, by all means, you can go ahead and and take it at the end of the day too. Now in Luke 24, we're going to see that even those who knew Jesus best had a major crisis of faith and belief after his death. But this is not a history lesson. Okay. This is not a history lesson. I want you to think about your own failure, your own disappointment, your own regret, something that this morning makes your head hurt. Something that this morning makes your heart ache. Again, this isn't a history lesson. As you consider what your regrets, what your failure, what your disappointment is. And as you hold that in your hand, I want you, as we begin to read through Luke 24, Consider how Jesus is walking alongside of you. And so Luke 24, starting with verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus's followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. That last line's important. So in the next verse, we're going to find out who one of these people are. It was uh, Cleopas. So we have Cleopas. He's walking with Jesus. And the second person is never named, but a lot of scholars believe that it was Cleopas's wife. And so they're walking what is a seven mile stretch on a Sunday morning. They're just, they're out going for a walk because they're grieving. And if you've ever grieved before the loss of a life, the loss of an opportunity, you know, that you just can't stay home all the time, right? You got to get out. You got to do something. I got to get out of this house. And that's what they were doing. They were getting out of the house. And so he and his wife, they're going on this walk and someone unexpectedly joins them. Remember, they don't know it's Jesus. It's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. God kept them from recognizing Jesus. They know who Jesus is and they start talking to him. I mean, here, these to this husband and wife, they thought originally Jesus was just a man, but they saw him do powerful miracles. So maybe he was a prophet, but he was also a really profound 
teacher. So we have a teacher. We have someone who's doing profound miracles. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. These people, they started to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But then again, on the first Easter Sunday morning, you're reflecting back that this guy couldn't even save himself. They were asking all of the same questions, having all of the same conversations you and I would have had 2000 years ago, the Sunday Jesus rose from the dead. And in this, and in this conversation, we see that Jesus doesn't rebuke them. We see Jesus, Jesus doesn't shame them, but we see something else. We see that Jesus walks with them. And it's important for us to know that this morning, anytime we read the Easter story, the first Easter was not full of life. It wasn't a a new start. It wasn't full of hope. But as that Sunday began, it was full of disappointment and failure and regret. And yet we read that even though they were full of these things, that Jesus walked beside them. Now, what's interesting is that they should have recognized Jesus. They knew who Jesus was, but they didn't recognize Jesus. And this is weird. It's Easter morning, these two, and they're not the only ones, they're crushed. And instead of God coming on and being like, I'm here, ta-da, told you so. Instead of breaking the ice and giving them hope and life and the new start that they believe for, Jesus just walks with them. He just walks with them. And there's this Greek word, which is really interesting here. And it's only used three times in the New Testament. And it's the word um, to describe the restriction of sight. So when it says that God kept them from seeing, it's this Greek word that shows up three times in the New Testament. And what are those three times? I'm going to tell you what they are. When Mary sees Jesus for the first time at the tomb, she thinks Jesus is a gardener. We see the Greek word come back up. When the disciples are on the lake fishing after Jesus's resurrection, they see him for the first time. They also don't recognize him. This Greek word comes up. And then right now with Cleopas and his wife on the road to Emmaus, this Greek word. So it shows up three times. And this is important because perhaps it was spiritual. Perhaps the reason they couldn't recognize Jesus was because there was some sort of a spiritual transfiguration, right? He rose from the dead and, and maybe he was unrecognizable. They didn't recognize him because he had changed. It could have just been a physical, emotional response. They just spent the last three, four, five years following this guy all over the ancient mid, Middle East. They just saw him die two days ago. They're crushed. And usually, generally speaking, when you attend the funeral of someone, you don't expect to see them two days later. So it could have been that it was Jesus. They were just so grief struck in that you don't recognize them. But either way, that's, we're not ever given that point. It's never clarified. Was it spiritual? Was it physical? Was it both? But the point is, is that whatever it was, physical, spiritual, or both, it affected their view of Jesus then. Whether it was physical or spiritual, they couldn't see Jesus the way that they used to see him. And that's true of us today. Perhaps there's something spiritual going in on your life and you don't recognize Jesus because of it. Maybe it's something physical that's going on and you can't recognize Jesus because of it. But that doesn't mean that you're alone. It just means that you don't recognize that Jesus is walking alongside of you. Even if you've been a Christian, a follower of Jesus for years and years, so were these guys. And they actually walked with him. They saw him face to face. They had meals with him. They saw him sleep. You guys have not done any of that. I mean, I'm not trying to be like negative here, but none of you have been watching Jesus sleep. None of you have had a meal with Jesus where you sat down with them and talked face to face. They did. 
And yet they didn't recognize them. So it's completely possible that you pray, that you read the Bible, that you go to church, you do all the right things. And yet on this road of disappointment, of heartache, of hurt, of headache, you don't recognize Jesus walking alongside of you. The first Easter suggests that just because you don't recognize, just because you don't notice, just because you don't even acknowledge Jesus does not mean he's not there walking with you. Easter contends the exact opposite. Easter says, even when you don't recognize, even when you don't notice, and even when you don't acknowledge Jesus, he's walking right beside you. Now, it gets better. Jesus doesn't just walk alongside you, put his hand on your back and say, there, there. That's kind of maybe something that I would do if you and I were, you know, you were lamenting and I felt awkward about it and I didn't know what to say. There, there, you know, that Jesus is way better than me. You don't have to worry about that. He doesn't just walk beside us. We keep reading in verse uh, 17 through 21. He, Jesus, asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all of the things that happened in the last few days. How's that? Jesus is trying to be a nice guy, like walking with them. What? Why are you guys so bummed? And he gets this snarky, kind of smart ass response back from Cleopas. You must be the only person in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard this news. Jesus says, what things? Groundbreaking. (laughs) What things? Cleopas says, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet. He did these powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and of all people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. And this is important. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We had hoped he was. We had hoped he was the Messiah to rescue Israel. All of this happened three days ago. There's that language. He was a prophet. We saw him do the miracles. He was a teacher. He had favor with all of these people. And we had hoped. It wasn't just that we believed it. We hoped he was the Messiah and that he was going to save Israel. We had hoped it. Now, Jesus could have interrupted. This would have been a great time. They've already been kind of snarky to him. They've already been that. And he says, you know, we hoped he was the Messiah, but he's clearly not. Jesus could have said, hey, it's me. Uh, If you just read the Bible, you would have known this. Just read the Old Testament. It's all all in there. He could have said, if you just had faith, perhaps if you just believed. Actually, I had told you this over and over and over again. And us with the Gospels, we know this is true. It's written all over the place that he keeps saying, I'm going to die. The Son of Man has to suffer many things. And he keeps going back to this. And they're like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever, Jesus. And, you know, he could have said any of these things but he doesn't. He just listens. I think a lot of us, we're like, we're eager to talk when our friend is going through that. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm there, there. All right, cool. All right. Let's hope you get better. Figure that out on your own. But a lot of us are eager to talk when someone is hurting. We want to help and that's good. And that's noble. But in this, in your pain and in your suffering, you should know today that Jesus is listening. He's walking alongside of you, whether you notice, acknowledge him or not. And he is listening. And he listens even when we're being snarky toward him. He listens even when we express doubt about him. 
He listens. And for some of you, this is good news. You're like, I've done a lot, my fair share of complaining about God. And I thought that he might be mad at me. Not so. Jesus walks with us. He listens to us. And he also speaks to us. In verse 25, Jesus said to them, here's where Jesus comes in. You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering his glory. And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning him. Now let's begin with that first part. Uh, you foolish people. That's an English translation. The actual Greek is, do you not understand? Okay, so do you not understand? We translate it as you foolish people. There's a little bite to it. So it's not an unfair translation to say you foolish people. Do you not understand? He's kind of getting snarky back with them. My favorite attribute of Jesus is his snark while he was here on earth. I can really relate to that. You know, do you not understand? You see, because they said we thought he was the Messiah and he was going to save Israel. And Jesus says, you guys keep going back to this. You keep going back to this idea that I came to put Israel back in power. You guys keep coming back to this. I was going to overthrow the empire that I was going to be David. And I was going to come with the sword and I was going to come with the shield and I was going to overthrow everyone and just put you guys back in power. And no one was ever going to mess with you again. And, and you guys still don't get it. You foolish people. Do you not understand? And why this is important for us is because maybe today you mistakenly thought that if I, by following Jesus, that by becoming a Christian, that meant you would have the power in your life that you'd always get the raise and the promotion, that things would always go smoothly. That's a centuries old myth that by following Jesus, he's going to put me in power. They believed it. And Jesus says, you still don't understand. But I think that sometimes and oftentimes we do that too. Like, why is life so hard? Why is there still pain? Why is there still suffering in my life? Ah, you're believing the myth that even those first followers of Jesus who did walk with him, watch him sleep, watch him eat, believed, which was that by following him, I would be somehow put in the power. And this is not so. The way of Jesus is not the way of authority. The way of Jesus isn't even the way of position. The way of Jesus is humility and it's a self-giving love. And can I point out to you how Jesus speaks to them? Jesus took them through the writings of Moses. Those are the first five books of the Old Testament and the prophets explaining the things, all the, all the scriptures concerning himself. He speaks to them, but it's not just off the cuff. You see, Jesus comes to them and they're crushed. And he says, don't you guys understand? It's written here. It's written here. It's written here. It's written here. And he goes through it. And I think why this is also, again, important for you and me is because when we pray, we want to hear from God. We want that off the cuff kind of just talking to God, talking to Jesus, you know, use my language, send me a text message, God, an instant message, you know, here's my WhatsApp. We want Jesus to respond to us that way. And how we see biblically that Jesus responds and speaks to people was through the Bible. Whatever you're going through. Yeah, rest assured, Jesus walks with you. Rest assured, Jesus listens to you. But for those of you who are at the point, you're like, why isn't Jesus speaking to me? Perhaps Jesus is sitting here like this. He's like, I have spoken. I have spoken. And God, and he is speaking here today through this text, 2000 years later, through this story. 
Easter isn't just about the resurrection of the dead someday. This isn't fire insurance. This isn't life insurance. I'm going to get to go to heaven someday and avoid something really terrible. It includes that. But part of this Easter story is participating in and engaging in Jesus's story today about this new good and glorious world that is being reborn by the love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus in the midst of a battle against an old one. And yes, I acknowledge there's a ton of bad stuff happening in the world today. A ton of bad stuff. But that doesn't mean we give up. I know a lot of us, we just wish that he would teleport us. Come back, Lord Jesus. We pray. We hope. But God's a fighter. And God died for everybody, not just in this room, but everyone outside of this room. And he's not ready to turn around and run away. Despite all of the bad things that are happening in the world, he's not saying, okay, let's get out of here now. God said, I'm going. Are you come with me? Are you going to be a part of the new life of the resurrection? Not just then and there, but here and now, because that's the invitation for all of us to be part of something new right now. See, following Jesus, we don't have the option of running away. We don't have the option of looking over and saying, well, they're super spiritual. They'll do it. Oh, he's a pastor. He should do it. It's about us following Jesus, where we work, where we live, where we play. Easter is about the kingdom of God coming to earth. And it's about experiencing the resurrection power in our life today. But to have a resurrection you have to first have death. And that's the part none of us want to go through. You see, this Easter story isn't about a savior. It's not, again, not a history lesson. It's not about a savior who died a long time ago. It's about a savior who's very much alive today. So go back to that. What disappointed you? How have you felt like you have failed and you're alone? What are your regrets? What was that thing that makes your head hurt and your heart ache today? But because of Easter, remember that Jesus is walking with you through that. And he's listening to you through that. And he wants to speak to you in that. No matter how alone you might feel today. And you might say, but Stephen, it feels like I'm dying. Good. Because for there to be a resurrection, there needs to be a death. And when Jesus says it is finished, the story wasn't over. It was just beginning. 